The longtime GM of the Anaheim Ducks has stepped down while the face of the Montreal Canadiens makes his way back into the lineup slowly but surely. Meantime, the mother of John Doe, too, is asking for justice and asking for help from the National Hockey League. And when we get to the main course of today's podcast, hearts, hot starts, and cold streaks are on the menu. Episode 294 of Lace My Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we get to the main topic, Brett, we do have uh, some hockey news. And uh, we'll start with the change uh, behind uh, the bench uh, in the front office with the Anaheim Ducks. Yes. Uh, So it appears that uh, Bob Murray has been uh, or is resigning or stepping down. He's the Anaheim Ducks general manager. Um, and uh, it's supposedly he's, uh, well, first off, he is stepping down, but then uh, there's going to be some internal review uh, into what they found um, into it. Apparently, he was, like, threatening people who work for him at, at like for job security type reasons and it was just like a very hostile toxic environment that he had in position um and as supposedly he has checked into rehab for alcohol uh issues um so so that's another thing to to consider um i would imagine um i would imagine that it has something to do with the, the recent Blackhawks thing, you know, just all that, like, backfiring, or not backfiring, but the aftermath of the Blackhawks thing where the Ducks were just like, oh, okay, this could get even worse than what it is already. What's interesting, though, is, like, um, I'm taking this from Greg Wyshynski, who t- uh, tweeted out, uh, like, five days ago, that text from longtime NHL team exec about Bob Murray... His managerial style has always been about, has been negativity and adds colorfully, he's an asshole and got caught. I'm sorry for my language there, but I'm taking a quote from it. Um, So, like, so I I get, like, and what was also interesting is, and and this is what Wyshynski also noted, was that, like, anyone he talked about on this story, they, like, no one had a nice word to say about it, which is... Kind of surprising because Bob Murray has been in the league for like more than a decade. I don't know the exact amount, but um, but that that's that part's kind of uh, um, kind of like weird in a way. So it's like maybe it's just like another member of the old boys club is out and he just resigns. But um, yeah, it's it. So it's it's kind of surprising just because it's like. You know, he resigns even after, like even before any of this stuff comes out. Um, but it's still, um, yeah, it's weird. It, it's like you know, maybe it's like a sign that we're we're making changes or the NHL is making changes in in how they uh, act uh, given the Kyle Beach situation. Yeah, and I definitely think that is. Uh... 
a lot to do with it. People are more comfortable speaking up about these things. And the mm-hmm. fact that a memo was sent out to basically every single team in the league saying, if there are incidents of abuse or whatever that we don't know about, uh, report it, call the hotline. Yep. Um, we're serious about this and we're going to take action. And that's how this whole thing got out is someone reported the hotline on Bob Murray. And um, the, there, there, there are a couple of things to this situation that are a bit different than the other situations in the past. First of all, um, the day after he was placed on administrative leave, Bob Murray stepped down as GM said that he was going to check himself into a rehab center to deal with alcohol issues. And uh, the owner of the Ducks is actually going to pay for those expenses. So the team is committed to change. Murray is committing uh, himself to be a better person, um, you know, a better hockey man, a better colleague, um, and and just be a better family man in, in general for, for the sake of his family and for his friends. Above all else, he's, he's taking these steps to make sure that moving forward um he can just be better at life and and that that takes a a lot of courage and a lot of strength to do now will that necessarily mean he's going to get another chance at hockey down the road i don't know and i think um the people that he's worked for i think that should be up to them to decide to determine if he's a changed person and in in due time uh maybe we'll see a change bob maria back in the nhl but for now what we know is based on the stories that have uh, been told um, he hasn't really created a positive culture on a daily basis uh, for the players that have played under him uh, for the front office staff that have worked with him. He's not fit to be an NHL GM at this time. And that is why he no longer has a job. And prior to all of this, he was the third longest tenure GM active GM of the NHL. So Everyone clearly trusted his hockey sense, and they had faith in his game plan. Um, but as we've seen many times before, stuff that's happened off the ice is becoming more important than the stuff that uh, he's done um, on the ice. Even though the Ducks have been rebuilding for a couple of years now, um, I'm sure they had many opportunities from a performance standpoint, from a team performance standpoint, um, from the moves that he's yeah. made as GM, there could have been several chances for the Ducks to say, you know what, we're going to move into a different direction, but they stayed true to Bob Murray. And the main reason they are getting rid of Bob Murray or ask for Murray's resignation or whatever the case may be, putting him on administrative leave, the reason uh, that Bob Murray doesn't have a position with the Ducks at the moment is not performance-related. It's from a personality standpoint that all of this is happening. So... Uh, it had nothing to do with the uh, performance. It has everything to do with uh, not necessarily being um, a great person or in the, in the words of Ryan Whitney, being a prick. <laughs> and um, ho- hopefully for, for the better that, um, that Bob Maria can, can turn things around because I, I, I'm all for people, you know, being good members of society and I'm all for second chances, yep. but you have to earn that. Yeah, for sure. I guess that's, that is a good... Think, like, yeah, I'm, I'm also all for second chances, and hopefully it works out. The interesting thing is, is, like, the Ducks are one of the hottest teams in the league right now, even though they, they like, they, they are kind of rebuilding. So it is interesting that, like, you would think all this off-ice drama would have an effect on their on-ice stuff, especially with, like, a young team like Anaheim. And, like, no, they're not, <laughs> they're not really slowing down. 
in fact, they're like Getzlav has been like reborn. John Gibson has been reborn, um, and we'll talk about the Ducks next week. But um, but yeah, it, it is kind of funny that like the Ducks are also doing really well on the ice, even though uh, Bob Murray has uh, this whole situation has been going down. So it is kind of funny in a way. Um, yeah, but uh, but and speaking of that, we'll talk about. The California teams next week. I, I think we can spoil that. Um, so we'll talk more about the Ducks next week. Um, uh, also, speaking of substance abuse, um, Carrie Price, uh, who had been going on hiatus um, for the you know the start of the season, he uh, has admitted that uh, that the reason why he was on hiatus was because of alcohol. Um, as well, or, you know, alcohol-related issues, um, and he he checked into rehab and all that stuff, so um, this is another one where it's like, I, I guess it shouldn't have been too surprising, considering that he, um, you know, I, I guess it could have been like a mental health thing where, um, you know, and not, not just the substance abuse stuff, but, um, you know, kudos to him and all the respect for him, because it's like, he didn't have to admit that he didn't have to make this public. He could have just, you know, just said that, yeah, it's just a mental health thing. Um, which I guess it, it, in a way, substance abuse is a mental health thing as well. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, something that's like interesting to, uh, you know, I guess that's the first step is just admitting that you have an issue, a problem. So I hope that he recovers, um, the way that he does, you know, we often forget in the sport that, you know, these players are people and, and not just, um, these machines that are <laughs> wired to be, uh, you know, these athletic freaks and all that stuff. So, um, it's good to just remind us that even Carey Price has his issues, um, and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, hopefully he, he gets better and recovers. I think he's, he's back to practices. I don't, I think it will be a little bit more longer until we see him play again. But, um, but yeah, at least it's it's a good news to see him. Um, you know, just like it, it, maybe he's he's doing okay. Um, I also wonder if he's gonna t- or if he has talked to Robin Leonard, who also had alcohol issues, um, and uh, he's been very public about that as well. So. Um, I'm sure they have a lot to talk about being like two of the best goalies in the league. Yeah, I feel like Robin Leonard, um, in terms of being in like pressure packed situations, in mm. terms of being the number one goalie, and, and you looked at, uh, you know, the little conversation that they had after Vegas lost to Montreal. Like, he has a lot of respect for people in his profession and um, just for NHL players uh, in general. Uh, you've seen him on Twitter, you know, sticking up for guys like Nolan Patrick. Um, uh, to to add one example, and there have been several others. So Jack Eichel, he's he's come to the yeah. aid of uh, his current teammate in Vegas back then, still in the Sabers. Uh, so he's he's not not afraid to to in his mind speak up for what's right, mm-hmm. uh, what he feels is right. So um, it, it wouldn't shock me. I don't know for sure if Leonard's had conversations yep. with Price. It wouldn't shock me if he has reached out um, because Robin Leonard has been very vocal about uh, his battle with, with mental illness. And, yeah. Uh, 
and and substance abuse. And, and um, for the record, a couple of years ago he was in a very rough place. And for the record, so, if they have, I don't think it's like you know, I don't think they would make it public or anything like that. It's not really mm-hmm. any of our business, <laughs> anyways. But yes. Well, and, and that's and that's the thing also. Like Harry Price didn't yep. have to come out and say why he checked himself um, right. into the. The, the player assistance program. Uh, this was a decision also that it wasn't it wasn't forced on. Um, I wouldn't say forced upon him, but it wasn't uh, urged by the team. Like when Mark Bergman found out about this, it totally caught him off guard. Terry Price voluntarily um, admitted himself into this program. He made this call by himself, which I think is a further testament to his character that he can that he can step aside from probably the biggest job in the NHL, stopping pucks for the Montreal Canadiens and having the whole team revolve around one guy every single year. That's, that's a lot to, uh, that's a lot of burden to be put on a guy with so much expectations out of the gate, even like as a top five pick from the year that he was drafted, a lot of pressure was placed upon him because that, draft had names like Sidney Crosby and Bobby Ryan right. and Anze Kopitar and Ryan Getzlaff on it. Um, actually, I don't, I don't know if Getzlaff was there, but I remember Kopitar being on there. It was a very was, loaded yeah. first round. And he was fifth overall. And a lot of people um, expected the world of this guy, and he's delivered. He's the winningest goalie in Habs history. Uh, every single time when they're going into the playoffs, they think they can win the Stanley Cup. Because Carey Price, if he plays like Carey Price, he can catapult that team into a different stratosphere that's a lot of pressure for any one man to have and on top of that married with three kids like he needs to be a father for these kids too so the fact that he was able to make this call by himself no one had to make it for him for him to just step back and say you know what i need to take a break i need to look after myself i need to look after my family that that is a man's man's call right there Mm -hmm. and I have so much more respect. I already had a lot of respect yep. for Kerry Price already. I have even more respect for him now. And you look at all of the people around the world, people that we don't know that struggle with mental illness, that struggle with substance abuse. Some of those people might look up to Kerry Price as their idol. And they might look at Kerry Price checking himself into this facility and thinking, you know what, it's not a sign of weakness that arguably the best goalie on the planet, a guy that I look up to, is human enough, man enough to step up and say, you know what, I need to step back, I need to make some changes, I need to get help, I need to look after myself for the betterment of others, for the betterment of my family. Everything that Carey Price has done in his career always seems to be bigger than just one game, bigger than his teammates, bigger than himself. There's a bigger message around that. If the best goalie in the world, the best at his craft, can it can make the decision to step back and say, I need to take care of myself, trust me on this, just give me some time. Yep. People look up and they recognize that and and maybe that sparks change in their life. It, it sparks change for, for them to be better. It, it sparks courage that they can turn around a difficult part in their lives into something positive. Um, yeah, no, I agree with that. That's, um, a good point. And I, I think all this stuff that comes out, like Robin Leonard, Naomi Osaka, um, a tennis star, uh, for those that haven't heard, you know, look, look that up, Simone Biles in the Olympics this year. It's like all these mental health stuff 
um, you know, it's, it's all the more important when they, um, when they happen. So, um, yeah, so it's, right, it's yeah. all about addressing the stigma. That's, yep. that's the biggest hurdle. And I think slowly yep. but surely we're starting to, uh, we're starting to say it's, it's okay to say that you're not okay Yep. and, and to take action and, and, and make the changes in your life that you have to, to be a better person. And, yeah. and that, I think that to me says more than anything. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this, all, I mean, bringing it back to even, like, Kyle Beach or something, it's, like, you know, just even Kyle Beach admitting, like, that he had, he struggled with alcohol, like, just depression and all this stuff, just be, I mean, we know why, because of trauma and stuff like mm -hmm. that, but, like, even, even that stuff destigmatizes, um, like, mental health in a different way, but, yes, it, it just, like, after all these different things, it's, like, in a way, athletes are a role model because it makes everyone feel okay to be open about all this different stuff that they're dealing with. Because then it's like you can relate to these players even more, and and that's that's a good thing. Um, obviously, it's not a good thing what happened to uh, to Kyle Beach, but you get my point. Um, and, oh, and also, uh, I just looked this up. Uh, Carey Price was not in the same draft class as Ryan Getzlav. Um, that year was like with Mark Andre Fleury and all that stuff. Yeah, but it was yeah. it, either 03 or 05. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Carey Price was in 05. Sydney, I think yeah. you, you mentioned Crosby, Bobby Ryan, of course, Jack mm -hmm. Johnson were the first three. Carey Price, um, and then uh, was five. The fourth was Benoit Puglia, Puglio, um, and then also some notable players that year as well. I think you mentioned them, but. Anze Kopitar. Yeah, I, I, I specifically mentioned Kopitar because I remember yeah. the story of the Sens drafted Brian Lee when they could have taken guys right. like Mark Stahl or Anze Kopitar. Yeah. So and that, uh, that, that, for that reason alone, I remember Anze Kopitar's name the most. Right, time. right, right. Tuka Rask as well. Um, oh, and, yeah, him. And TJ Oshie uh, was also mm -hmm. later on in that round. Um, okay. Um, and then lastly, speaking of Kyle Beach... Um, in that, in that situation, the, so Brad Aldrich also sexually assaulted another person, um, who was a 16 year old, which is even worse. Um, but, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's hard to compare. I guess I shouldn't compare the two. Um, but, uh, just because he is an underage person, it's, it's still pretty bad. Um. But, like, a big reason why Kyle Beach even came out or even sued the NHL was because of um, he ended up sexually assaulting another person. Um, but anyways, uh, the John Doe, that, that person's mother speaks out um, and is obviously upset about everything, uh, but, like, respects Kyle Beach and, and is proud of Kyle Beach for, for standing up and, and admires him in that way. Uh, she also said that the NHL won't pay for her son's therapy, um, which it's like, like I, I kind of can get it just because like this, this player or this person isn't in the NHL and all that stuff. Having said that, the, um, after all this blowback, all this scrutiny, all this, like, just everything that's happened in the last month or so, like, what's, what's the NHL doing? Like, why, like, you can't just pay for the son's therapy. You basically just, 
like you caused this to happen because you you covered it up and you're yeah you're indirectly responsible in a way but you're also like after all this time you should be able to pay it just it just makes me sick but um i i know that you also feel the same way but uh yeah it's just uh it's just a crazy crazy thing when you take a look at the events that have unfolded over the past month and what has happened over the past 11 years and how the NHL, the hockey world, the Chicago Blackhawks in different ways failed to deliver justice to Kyle Beach and failed to help him adequately. This, this story just sickens me because you're talking about at the time in 2013, this kid was a minor. Yep. This was at a team party. Brad Aldrich was affiliated with the hockey club in some capacity and he sexually assaulted this kid. And I know he wasn't drafted by an NHL team. He had no affiliations with an NHL team. Uh, as far as I know, doesn't have any affiliations with an NHL team today. But you look at how this incident changed this kid's life. Uh, John Doe 2's mother cited severe behavioral issues and mental health trauma that her son suffered from after the incident. Almost immediately, his behavior started to change. He started taking drugs. To understand fully what this family is going through, go to TSN Dossier, take a look at the interview with Rick Westhead. Once again, Rick Westhead doing everything he can yep. to make sure this is her, God bless his soul. This is a tough conversation, but you have to hear it. Specifically the part of how her son broke the news to her. He returns home after a night out with his girlfriend. His mother found the pills he was taking. She confronted him about it that night. He broke down and told her what happened. And she was in total shock. She couldn't believe what she was hearing. This kid, back then, needed help. And this kid, today, needs help. Do you really think, given what we have deciphered over the past 11 years that the Chicago Blackhawks are going to fight for justice for this kid when they fail to fight for justice for Kyle Beach for 11 years? Do you really think you can trust this team? Just just look at just look at what they're trying to do with with in terms of uh, fighting for Kyle uh, for Kyle Beach's justice today. Yeah. Like just just look at the articles about how the progress of this settlement is going. Just listen to the quotes from Kyle Beach's lawyer. Read the quotes from Kyle Beach's lawyer. There's still not a settlement at the moment of recording. There's still not a settlement in place after all of this time. Do you expect them to do the same with a guy at the time who was a minor that was sexually assaulted by Brad Aldrin? I, I honestly... I honestly don't trust him right now. Mm -hmm. And I get the NHL's argument. It's like, well, he, he had no affiliation. But this is where they get involved. Mm -hmm. When a team under the NHL umbrella, I would classify that as a branch of the NHL in some way, shape, or form. The NHL's affiliated with the Chicago Blackhawks, so it becomes their problem. Yeah. When that team gives a positive recommendation for Brad Aldrich to seek a line of work elsewhere, and that line of work elsewhere ends up being this team, and he does it again. 
that is where, as a league, you have an obligation to step up and take action. It's not too late for them to do it. I hope they have a change of heart and they're able to help out this kid. But I would not trust the Blackhawks. Not a chance to fight for justice for this kid when they fail to do so with Kyle Beach for all these years. Yeah, it is um, It is crazy. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I can't really think of a, a transition. There's not much more to be said yeah, yeah. at all. Like, it's, uh, yeah. it's sickening. Um, so I can't think of a good transition, but I'm just going to address it, that it's, it's an uh, awkward <laughs> transition here. Um, so this, uh, so now we go on to our main topic. Um, so we each picked a, uh, there's a lot of hot teams in the league. There's a lot of teams that are also on a cold streak, um, and are a bit concerning. I was going to talk about the Anaheim Ducks because they were doing, um, so well, but we're going to talk about them next week, as I mentioned, um, just because, uh, the Kings are doing well and the Sharks are doing well too. So, um, I figured, uh, we should pay attention to all the other teams because California... I also want to put on the record that while other people came up with the idea and actually executed it, uh, yep. I think in our minds we thought of it first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we're not going to take credit of it because, obviously... Yeah, we're not those are, kind of people, yeah. <laughs> we're humble, yeah. But, uh, I feel like everyone is catching on that, hey, these California teams are pretty intriguing to yeah. watch, so we'll do a full dissection. Well, like, the, uh, the Ducks have, like, a nine-game winning streak, or eight game winning streak I forget where it's at and the Kings have a seven game winning streak so it's like I, I can understand why it's not like a revolutionary idea to cover it but we did think of it even before they got hot which is which is kind of funny um so anyways uh we're uh so we we decided to not talk about any of the California teams and we'll talk about them next week but I picked a, a hot streak team Steve picked a hot streak team, and then we did the same thing for a cold streak team. Um, so I guess I'll go first with our hot team. Um, and l- literally, they are hot because it's in their name. Um, <laughs> Red hot. Yeah, the Calgary Flames are my uh, team that we're going to talk about today. Um, they are, um, just just to start, they are 8-3-4, and four, and they're third in the Pacific Division. Um, I think the thing that intrigued me the most about the Calgary Flames is that for a while now, um, you know, it, it felt like Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan weren't, uh, you know, they weren't living up to their stardom that, that they've had for the last couple of years. They've both had kind of off years in the past. Um, and I'll get to their cap-friendly situation, or their just cap situation in a second. But it, it is... Um, it is intriguing, but now they start winning. They hired uh, Daryl Sutter, and you know, you when you think of a Daryl Sutter team when he was coaching the Kings um, in the early two thousands, um, you or sorry, early twenty tens, I should say. Um, you know, you you think of like a team that's defensive minded and uh, like they just win games like one to nothing, two to one. They're just like very close games, but they usually focus on defense. But then, when you look at their schedule, like they beat, the, they shut out the uh, Rangers six to nothing. They shut out Ottawa four to nothing, and that's you know that's obviously it's Ottawa. But uh, <laughs> but like they beat the Devils five to three. Uh, they beat the Flyers four to nothing. They also beat the 
Penguins four to nothing. Um, and I also just looked on their their stats. They average. Hold on, I had a, a stat of how many goals per game they had. Uh, they're ninth in the league, and they average three point two uh, goals for per game, um, which which puts them ninth in uh, the league when you yeah, average those those all out. Um, so that that's pretty good. Um, and it, it's it's just interesting that like Daryl Sutter isn't just being that defensive guy because they're still doing really well on the defensive side of things too. As it, like as you could probably tell, they they shut out a lot of teams. Uh, but like Jacob Markstrom, Jakob Markstrom, I think that's how you pronounce his first name. Um, he has a one point eight one GAA, a nine thirty five save percentage, four shutouts. Uh, he's five three and three. Daniel Villadar is also doing pretty well too. So it it is kind of insane that they're you know that they're still doing that. But then when you go to their forward stuff, um, Elias Lindholm has sixteen points. He leads the uh, the team in points uh, with sixteen. Um, he kind of had a down year last year. Uh, eight goals, eight assists. Uh, then you have Johnny Gaudreau with four goals and eleven assists. You have Matthew Kachuk uh, with seven goals and five assists. Then you have like Andrew Manjapani, um, who's like having a breakout season. He has ten goals already in fifteen games um, and two assists, and that's twelve points. And then you have like you know, and even the defense is is doing well too. You have Oliver Shillington, even though it it like it looks like it's Killington. Um, he has 10 points in 14 games, and he's kind of been a revelation as well as Rasmus Anderson, who has eight assists, uh, zero goals in 15 games. Um, I think that, you know, Rasmus Anderson, we keep on hearing his name every now and then, and he's, he's more like we always thought of him as just a shutdown defenseman, but it is good to see that he's putting points on the board. Um, but, like, even guys like Milan Lucic, Blake Coleman... Uh, Sean Monaghan is is sort of there, but like you know, I guess he's gotten hot recently. But uh, he has eight points in fifteen games as well, so that's not too bad. But like the point is, is that they're they're overloaded on depth as well. It's not just like their goaltending that's that's been a, a huge thing. They're also scoring a lot, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so so yeah, I talked about Daryl Sutter. Um, and they're ninth in offense. Um, I also mentioned how, like, Andrew Mangiapane, who has 10 goals so far. Um, so here's the thing. When you look at their cap friendly page, uh, we've been, like, you know, they were going to trade Jack uh, for Jack Eichel. And supposedly the rumor was is that Matthew Kachuk was going the other way. Um, and that is simply because... Matthew Kachuk is an RFA this next year. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau is a UFA, and he's been rumored to, like, this is going to be his last year as well. Uh, Andrew Mantopani, um, he's an RFA this year. He's only making $2 million compared to Johnny Gaudreau, who's making $6.7 million, and Matthew Kachuk, who's making $7 million. So Mantopani is going to, is due for a raise if he keeps this up. Um, but the thing is, is that like the Flames can't afford to keep all three of those guys. Um, they also still have Tyler Pitlick, uh, Trevor Lewis, Brad Richardson, Nikita Zadorov, Eric Goodbranson, Michael Stone, Oliver Shillington, 
um, also as, you know, free agents this year, but, like, they're not really uh, big in- impact players, so they could afford to lose those guys. But, like, those three with Kachuk, Goudreau, and Mangiapane are guys that they should sign, but they don't have a ton of cap space left. And, and that's just going to be an interesting thing because I feel like they can't sign all three of them. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be tough for one, one of, I feel like one of those guys is, is just going to be on another team by next season. And it, if that's the case, then it's like, well, who do you trade off then? Because you kind of like, you know, Kachuk's, basically the identity of the Calgary Flames at this point. He's kind of a future captain in my mind. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau has been one of their best players for the past five years, ten years, like six years, I think he's been in the league for seven years maybe. Um, so, but although it does seem like he, uh, it's rumored that he doesn't want to be on Calgary anymore, so, so maybe their decision is already decided for them. Um, so it, it's just uh, it's an interesting situation where it's like they are really hot right now, but this might be the last time that we see all these guys together in the same on the same teams. Um, I mean, I guess that's this you can say that about every team, but this it feels like this is the last year where they they have all their core players together. There, there are. Um... A, a couple of things that really intrigued me about Calgary's hot start, and to an extent it has cooled off a little bit, but they're still getting points. They've gotten points in 12 yep. or 15 games played with the four overtime shootout losses that they have. Um, and I don't expect um, Markstrom to finish the year with, like, I don't know, 15 shutouts. Yep. Um, but if he gets, like, around 9 or 10, that's pretty impressive. He's got one, Blatter's got one, both... Um, both goalies have played very well. Um, both have GAAs under two. Both have save percentages of at least 930. Um, so th- if, if that continues, like even if their GAAs are both like 2.3 and they have like 920 save percentages, if both goalies can play at that level, that definitely bodes well for them. Um, the special teams, I also noticed, has been a key part to their success. Their power play is 10th in the league at 23.4%. Uh, they're middle of the pack in terms of power play time on ice, and yet their 11 power play goals uh, scored are top 10 worthy, and they've had the 12th most power play chances with 47. So they're getting opportunities. They're cashing in on opportunities. Uh, that definitely helps. Uh, their penalty kill um, is a bit concerning in terms of the amount of times they've been sent to the box. That the eighth most uh, penalty kill attempts and the seventh highest penalty kill time on ice so far, over 83 minutes on the penalty kill. That's more than the amount of power play time that uh, they've gotten so far. But they're middle of the pack in penalty kill goals surrendered, so that means when you get all the bounces going your way, you're able to take a risk, bite the bullet, and get away with it most times. You get an 85.7% percentage rate on the penalty kill. That's eighth best. So if for a lack of a better term and for a total play on words, the more they play with fire, uh, the higher the chance uh, they're going to get burned by that. So yeah. I think a discipline is worth monitoring there. But so far, they've been pretty good. They've also been pretty good on the road. They're 6-2-1 and one away from home, which is uh, pretty interesting there. And they've, like you said, Brett, 
they faced a lot of good teams. They faced the Oilers. Uh, the Red Wings aren't pushovers. Neither Rangers. is Anaheim. They faced the Capitals once. The Rangers. They faced the Rangers twice. Uh, Pittsburgh and Philly you mentioned as well. Um, so there, there are a lot of good teams they've gone up against, and they've beaten a lot of those uh, pretty good teams. So that's definitely good. The one part of this team that um, really intrigues me, but first I get to that part, um, to talk about the guys that are red hot. I think the success of Mangiapane, for for instance, when you look at the 10 goals in 15 yep. games, you think that's impressive. He's taken 33 shots, which means he has a shooting percentage of 30.3. That's ridiculous. And to make matters even more crazy for Calgary, he averages 14.50 per game. So not even 15 minutes of ice time. He has 10 goals in 15 games on 33 shots, and yeah. three of them are game winners. So a part of me wonders if that's because you have guys like Matthew Kachuk, like Elias Lindholm, and Johnny Goudreau to watch out for, and that opens the door for guys like Mangiapane to step in and deliver. And only two of those goals are power plays, so that's eight of his ten goals at even strength. That's yeah. that's uh, or, or in non-power play situations, I should say. Uh, that's that's pretty impressive too. And I I also wonder about um, Oliver Shillington. Ch- Um, his 10 points and four, only has 24 shots, only has an average of 16.32 per game, which for yep. a defenseman is very, very low. And I wonder how much of that is due to the fact you have Rasmus Anderson on the blue line, you have Nikita Zadora banging bodies around, you also have Noah, Noah Hannafin uh, in the mix too. Yep. Uh, so maybe that's um, similar to Manji Pani that opens the door for Shillington to make good on his offensive opportunities. And he doesn't have a single power play point to his name either most of this is done at even strength which is also impressive so if he's able to get like 40 to 50 points a year and that's the norm for Shillington on a a annual basis at the NHL level then the Calgary Flames obviously love that because I would think out of the names on their roster the power play quarterback to me is probably going to be Noah Hannafin so if if Hannafin and Shillington uh, can perform at that level that's huge the one question mark that I have is in the future of Johnny Gaudreau or the future of Matthew Gachuk or the future of Andrew Mangiapane. It's the future of Sean Monaghan. Yeah. I don't know why, but he has eight points in 15 games, two of which are goals on 22 shots. Two goals and four assists out of those two goals and six assists have been power play points. So he only has two assists in non-power play situations, which to me is pretty low. Also a minus three. And granted, both goals have been game winners, so hey, when he scores, it matters. And then you look at his ice time, and it's four seconds higher than Mangiapane to average ice time. He's averaged 14.54 per game this year, which is, again, pretty low for Monaghan's standards. Yep. He's going to be a UFA not after this year, but the next year. And, and even this year, I kind of question what his future is because – his game, not just this year, but in the past year or so before that, I don't know what's happened to it, but it's not nearly at the level it was in his first three to four years in the league. Well, the good news is, is that he is on the same line as Mangiapane, so I, I think it's like <laughs> that. that is why they, they have gelled so far. But yeah, it is strange when you look at their average time on ice. They both have 14 minutes of ice time, and you're like wait, what? <laughs> How is this 
how are like how is this sustainable? Is this actually going to happen and all that stuff? So, so it is interesting. But then when you look at like I, I'm looking at Daily Faceoff, I'm looking at all these different uh, places where I look at line combinations. Like they have they have that uh, that line with uh, Blake Coleman as the the third wheel there um, as the second line, but it's like there <laughs> it doesn't feel like it because they're. Uh, 14 minutes of ice time on average, so it's it's not like they are they are used that much, um, and it, it's interesting from that perspective. Um, but yeah, and and maybe let it that is a way that they um, they get to keep all of Mangiapane, Gaudreau, and Kachuk is if they do trade Sean Monahan. So I'm sure some team will take on Sean Monahan um, in time, but. But then at the same point is that because Monaghan is on the line of Mangiapane, could you make the case that Mangiapane does need Monaghan? Um, and it's, you know, so maybe Monaghan isn't tradable because then Mangiapane won't get going if, if it's just like a worse center um, in their field or not. So it, it is, uh, it does bring into question of like, what, what are they going to do for sure? It's, it's definitely an interesting standpoint and yeah Monaghan has kind of slumped as you've mentioned and I, I mentioned briefly too is that like Monaghan hasn't been so great either the last two years um compared to what he was like a cup a few years ago so it is interesting to see what what's going on but at the same time it's like you know maybe Monaghan's been told like you know you don't have to be relied on too much and it, you know, at least he's contributing somewhat this time. So, so maybe he'll, you know, he's just being told like, you know, whatever helps, whatever helps. Um, you know, he, he has a 51 face off percentage. I'm looking here. Uh, he has 12 takeaways and six giveaways. So it's like, it's clear that he is helping out defensively um, and, and all that stuff. So maybe he's just realizing that he, you know, he, he doesn't have to be the offensive minded guy that he used to be. Um, and, and leaves that up to Kachuk and Mangiapane and Gaudreau. It could be a case that, he, that the pucks just aren't going yep. in the nets. They're That's not running too. a stick. He's a little snake bitten, but yep. when you look at those stats from, from a greater lens, maybe he's just doing the right things and, and yep. not getting rewarded, which is better than, um, being at the wrong place at the wrong time and, and biting the bullets and, and paying the price more often but than he likes. I w- I would, at least on the underlying numbers, he's doing pretty decent. Right, right. And I think, didn't he have, like, I think he had two assists last night or um, against, yeah, he had two assists last night, so maybe he is getting going. Uh, but, but like, I would push back on that a little bit just because he has 22 shots in 15 games, and I if I do the math, that's 1.46 uh per game so that's uh, not exactly great so maybe i, I yeah. mostly mentioned that in particular because of the previous two seasons ah okay so that yeah. more than anything it's just like oh uh, here we go again what's wrong with sean monahan right the offense isn't there yeah i guess his well his shooting percentage is uh let me see what his shooting percentage would be um i just had it up but then i lost it the shooting percentage. 0.09. It'll be 9%. No, I don't. Yeah. It's a 10%. So that's pretty low. 10%. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so yeah I, I guess that, that could be, that could go up, I guess. But, um, oh, sorry, it's 9%, not 10%. But 
<laughs> same same death. Um, okay, so um, so that that's it on the Calgary Flames. Who is? Oh, I guess we should like for for these teams like uh, for the hot teams. We we should say like if they're gonna make the playoffs or not. Um, and I I don't know. I I think. You know, it's, it's interesting, too, because we're going to talk about the California teams next week. Um, and it looks like Seattle's going to be pretty bad. Vancouver, we're going to talk about in a, in a few minutes. Um, spoiler alert. But, like, um, and Edmonton Oilers are definitely doing well. And Vegas, it's it's really tough to tell just because they, uh, you know, they don't have their three best players. And so I think Calgary is better than Anaheim and L.A., um, I don't think they're better than Vegas and is at at full health and Edmonton uh, is right now. So, so yeah, I think they could make the playoffs, um, but uh, who knows? I, I think we'll talk about it next week when, like, is Anaheim sustainable? Is L.A. sustainable? Is Are the Sharks sustainable? I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I think most of it is in Calgary's control. It's in yeah. their hands, and what they do with this is up to them. Because, um, like I said many times, the Pacific Division, there's just too many question yeah. marks, so many uncertainties. I still have faith that Seattle can turn around, but it's not looking good out yeah. of the gate. Um, so there, there's, it's not like the deck is stacked against Calgary. They, they can make something of this. But um, I expect Vegas to get better. I expect Edmonton's going to be in the top three mix right from start to finish. Um, so I think somewhere in, like, the third or fourth seed of that division is probably where yep. Calgary lies. Um, but I don't see them winning the division, and I doubt they finish second, just because yeah. Edmonton's loaded with offense. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, we talked about Vegas a couple weeks ago. I am concerned about their injury stuff, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Vegas misses the playoffs. But, um, but yeah, I, I think what, what is interesting is, is that Calgary has this great coach, Daryl Sutter, and he used to coach the LA Kings, so it could be like where the LA and Calgary are fighting for that third spot. So I feel like five teams are making it in the Central. Um, so so it's really just those three spots, and um, um, in the Pacific, and um, it could be going down to the wire of Daryl Sutter's old team versus his his new team that he just coached. Um, so. So, yeah, it could be interesting in the grand scheme of things. And he's also coached in other markets. I think he coached in Chicago yep. in the 90s. He also coached with San Jose, too. And he's but, had but success he's with those areas as well. But he's most known for, and he has had the most oh, success yeah. in L.A. But, yes, you're, you're and, right. And prior to going really to L.A., away. he took the Calgary Flames to the finals in 04. So yeah, yeah, good point. So he's had success in Calgary before. So forgot about that. He's, yeah, he's you're a right. well-traveled man, and his, and his formats have worked, clearly. Yeah, yeah, for, I forgot about that. But, yes, you're right. Um, all right, who is your hot team? Although I do know <laughs> what your hot team is, but let let the people know what your hot streak team is. I don't think Daryl Sutter ever coached the St. Louis Blues, um, but right. I wanted to talk about their hot start in particular, uh, especially as it starts to fade away, because I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I think the Blues are going to be a good team. I just don't know how good they're going to be. 
when you look at their record, they're eight, four, and two overall, three, two, and one at home, five, two, and one on the road. Their 48 goals scored is uh, fifth in the league, and they have the 11th fewest goals against, uh, which is uh, 38 goals against. Uh, that did go up a fair amount on Sunday, but that's what happens when you face Conrad David and the Oilers. They tend to do that to a lot of teams. So, uh, yeah. Uh, in terms of where they sit in the Central Division standings, they're two points behind Minnesota for first. Uh, they do have a long jam of teams in their way, and I expect that will continue to be the case uh, all year long, so they better get used to that. In terms of their schedule so far, they faced Colorado twice, um, faced the Kings three times, and because the Kings are outside their division, I'm pretty sure um the conference teams they play outside their division i think it's three annual matchups so i think their schedule with the kings already is done which uh, feels kind of weird to say uh they've also faced arizona once vegas once uh chicago san jose anaheim once winnipeg nashville carolina edmonton um they've, they've all faced those teams once the only team they face multiple times is the kings which is three and colorado which is two um, so overall, you got a smorgasbord of teams that are average, teams that are good, teams that are downright bad. And I'm mostly looking at Arizona when I say very bad. Um, when you do look at their recent cold streak, they went 7-1-1 to start the year. They've gone 1-3-1 since. But in that stretch, they dropped some very tight games that they could have won. Uh, shootout win over Winnipeg. Following that, they fall in overtime to Nashville 4-3. Uh, they lose to a red-hot Carolina Hurricanes team by a score of 3-2, to two, and I think uh, that loss happened late in regulation. So, um, again, a winnable game there. They were hanging around with a very good team. They could have won that game. And then uh, on Sunday night against Edmonton, they lost in the final minutes. Again, that Oilers team is very talented. So, all in all, their past five-game run, you have at least three winnable games right there. Um that if uh, the for, if uh, fortune favored the bold, St. Louis would probably get a, a couple more points um, than than they probably already have. So that that part kind of reassures me a bit. In terms of shots per game, they sit ninth uh, overall, thirty three point one. Um, they are also near the bottom ten teams when it comes to shots against. That's the negative. Uh, they have thirty two point one shots against per game at the moment. Uh, for the most part, special teams, similar to Calgary, has saved the day for the Blues. Um, in particular, their power play is second best with a success rate of 32.4%. Out of the 32 teams, they sit 30th in power play time on ice so far. 55 minutes, 21 seconds of total power play time. Which means out of that, they have 37 power play chances. That's 28 out of 32 teams. Yet their fourth in power play goals scored with 12. And that basically means on the power play chances that they get, they tend to make the most out of them uh, more often than not. So that definitely bodes well for them. And it uh, was more of the same. They were a middle-of-the-pack team uh, in the power play department last year in the shortened season. However, um, they didn't really get uh, too many chances uh, and too much total ice time on the power play um, to really uh, pad their stats. And yet they were a middle-of-the-pack team on the power play, even despite that. So they're a pretty optimistic team back then. They're even more so now. 
What kind of sunk them last year was the penalty kill. They weren't really terrific. They were near the bottom 10, middle of the pack type of team. This year, their penalty kill is ninth best at 85.4%. Uh, their penalty kill time on ice is significantly bigger than their power play time on ice. Uh, but it's 68-21 overall. So that's 23rd out of 32 NHL teams, which is, uh, again, pretty decent, which means they've been shorthanded 41 times. That's 23rd out of 32. That's good. And they've only given up six uh, goals against while killing penalties. So that's uh, in the top 10. So penalty kill improving, that's great. It's also great when you consider they didn't really do much to their defense or their goaltending during the offseason. Their defense and their goaltending, for the most part, has, hasn't has changed at all from last year. So they're getting results out of this same group, and that's very reassuring to mm -hmm. see. Uh, good starts to games, as we know, are very important. Um, only eight goals have gone into St. Louis's net in the first period after 13 games. Only a handful of teams have surrendered fewer goals. So... Good starts in the first period. That's definitely helped. And then uh, 20 goals in the final frame, which is near the top of the NHL leaderboard. It also helps when you have good starts uh, to games. Also uh, helps if you have good finishes to games. The Blues have gotten um, the better end of that stick uh, in both of those regards. If they keep that up, I like their chances. Uh, in terms of takeaways, they're near the bottom of the league, which means... If they're near the top of the league in uh, giveaways, that's not very good. They're a middle-of-the-pack team uh, in giveaways, recorded giveaways. So from that standpoint, uh, St. Louis is looking to be in uh, pretty decent shape there. Um, so from, from an overall team standpoint, um, they're manufacturing on the limited chances that they get, and their team discipline is resulting in... Uh, fewer chances against, fewer goals against. And when they are giving up chances, typically um, the defense is cleaning up uh, the secondary rebounds that pop up and Bennington is uh, doing what he can um, to keep pucks out of the net. In terms of individual offense, looking at key players uh, for the Blues right now, we've talked about Jordan Cairo, uh, one of those young players uh, around the league where they have a bright future ahead of them. They've shown a lot of signs that the future is now, but the inconsistent scoring portion of their game is the Achilles heel that they need to fix. And so far, he's on track to do that. I think around this time last week, he was outside the top 30 scorers. He is currently 19th. He has six goals, uh, 10 assists for 16 points in his first 14 games. Um, you look at a guy like Robert Thomas, who has um, one goal on 15 shots. That's um, that's very uh, concerning when you consider the fact that he has one goal. But again, only 15 shots taken. Uh, that's that's less on Robert Thomas and more so in circumstance when you consider that Kairou has six goals on 37 shots. Clearly, Jordan is getting the majority of the scoring chances compared to Robert Thomas. The good news is... Similar to Jordan Kyrou, Thomas has put up points. He has 15 of them, and he's the second-ranked scorer on the team. Yeah. So what he makes up for in lack of goals, he uh, makes up in the assist department. Uh, then you look at uh, the usual suspects that are expected to score, and David Perron has helped with that. He has 12 points in 14 games, uh, three of his six goals on the power play, so that helps. 
Uh, you have someone like uh, Pavel Buchnevich, uh, one of their newer faces. He started off slow, uh, slowed down even further with a two-game suspension, but he has eight points in 12 games with his new team, so he's starting to pick things up. And he also has 35 shots, so he's getting a fair share of his chances. Um, probably the best story for the team so far is Tarasenko. He has a whopping 53 shots, 7 goals in 14 games, 14 points in those 14 games, and around 17 minutes of ice time. And only 4 assists with the extra man, not a single power play goal. So he's doing a lot of that on even strength. So the fact that you're having a full-strength Tarasenko uh, starting to return to form, that's great news for them. And that brings us to the depth guys, where I think uh, the Blues have really shined in this regard, none more so than a man by the name of Ivan Barbashev. Yeah. Nine points in 14 games, fifth best scorer on the Blues right now, and his ice time average is 16-20, so around the same as the likes of Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, and uh, he's making the most of his opportunities, which is great. The main player, if I had to pick on the defense slash goaltending, has to be Jordan Bennington. So far, it might not show in the stats, but this looks more like the 2019 Bennington that turned this team around, turned them into playoff contenders, and turned them into Stanley Cup champions. 2.80 GAA, not exactly Vesna worthy. 9.15 save percentage, around what you would typically expect from Bennington. 6-3-2 record, pretty good. But when you look at the games that they have lost, there have been a handful of games that they lost and a handful of games that they won where if Jordan Bennington is on this game, the score is lopsidedly against the St. Louis Blues. Bennington has been directly responsible for either the Blues having a better chance to win a hockey game that they lost, like that Colorado game where he lost his cool and swung his stick at Kadri. Yep. That was definitely not one of Bennington's better moments. However... When you look at the shot clock, the it was like 40-plus shots to not even 20 shots in favor of the Avs. And the man who kept his team alive for pretty much all of that game was Jordan Bennington. That game against Winnipeg, I believe they won in a shootout. Again, Jordan Bennington was the story, the main reason why they got that W. Yep. If they get more performances like that out of Jordan Bennington, watch out for the St. Louis Blues this year. Yeah, I agree that's going to be the big question mark because it's like the past couple of years it seems like he's been inconsistent, but, you know, so far he's looked so good. Um, I do want to shout out uh, Jordan Cairo, which you, you did spotlight here, but it, it is kind of crazy that he has 16 points in 14 games um, in 16 minutes of ice time as well. So it's like, you know, that's not so, like, I mean, I guess that's a lot, but it's it's not so much. Um, and I just was looking at their lines as, as you do. He's on the same line as uh, Ryan O'Reilly and uh, Buchnevich. So I, I guess that could that has the makings of it being like a really good line if they can keep this up and be consistent. Um, the thing that's interesting about Ryan O'Reilly is he was injured to start the year, and then all of a sudden he has five points in ten games, so he's getting going. Um, I also want to shout out Tori Krug, who had a bit of a... Um, Bad season last year, but now, um, and he's he. I think he's in COVID protocol, so uh, so maybe he's kind of missed the last couple of games. But you were mentioning how their defense hasn't been hasn't been picking up, but um, I would disagree on that because he has eight points in nine games. It's just that Tory Krug hasn't 
been on the ice for like a week, so it's tough to really take notice of that. But um, I do wonder if like when Krug gets back, um, like how like maybe they'll go back to being a really hot team again. Um, and then the other thing I do want to mention is uh, Tarasenko, uh, who like during the off season had supposedly requested a trade. Um, and then he, because like, he felt like the blues were mismanaging their, his surgery and they, they messed up his surgery and stuff like that. And it was kind of like, in comparison to Jack Eichel, it was kind of like, well, like, yeah, Jack Eichel has every right to not want to do surgery when you look at someone like Tarasenko. And we were all wondering, like, will Tarasenko be the same player, um, as he is now? He has 14 points in 14 games. Seven of those were goals and seven assists, I guess, if you can do math there. Um, so it's like, I, I guess the Blues are doing the opposite of what they were doing with Jack Eichel, um, what, what, what the Sabres were doing with Jack Eichel, and letting Tarasenko play and showing that like he can still play. He's not like, and he, I mean, I guess he is still an injury risk, but it, it is saying that like, hey, uh, yes, we, we understand that he's angry at us, but... Um, he, he's a point per game player and maybe, but like, who knows, maybe he doesn't want to get traded now, uh, because he is doing well, but, um, but at the same time, I, I do wonder if like he's playing out of spite and, and wants to get out of there, even though the team is doing pretty well itself right now. Um, so yeah, I am intrigued. If you that. look at, you look at some of the guys that you expect to do well, yeah. like Braden Shen and Ryan O'Reilly, yeah. um, once they start to get going offensively, imagine how good they could be. They yep. also have uh, Brandon Saad, who's been a good death piece. James Neal, same thing with him. At times, he's he's come up big with some big plays. Uh, Tyler Bozak is uh, still there as well. In fact, when you look at the score sheet, I think Nico Mikula and Dakota Joshua, if I remember correctly, yep. they're the only two players on the Blues that have played a game for the Blues this year without a point. Yep, that's Everyone true. Everyone else that has played at least a game for the Blues has gotten a point. Yeah, even even Kyle Clifford, who's played two games, <laughs> he has one assist in those two games. Or Callie Rosen, who's been called up because uh, of Tory Krug's COVID stuff, he has two assists in, in those five games. But yeah, that yeah, is a good point. Further, too. further to their defense, Scandella's yeah. uh, produced uh, on occasion. Justin, Justin Falk, Falk yeah. Gordon Pareko, they've also uh, yep. chipped into. Um, so there, there's no doubt offensively that, uh, the blues, uh, I, I wouldn't say they're like as intimidating as like an Edmonton Oilers type of offense of where, course. you know, guys like Pugliarvi lighting the lamp and Nugent Hopkins racking up the assists, but they're getting results because of how balanced their offensive attack is. And they have so many weapons that can find a way to set up plays or score goals or do whatever. And, okay. and that's definitely been their biggest asset. It's just getting it's just getting everyone fired up on all cylinders. I think that's the main thing that they need to do moving forward because there are I, there are some guys to me that are underperforming just a little bit in terms of offensive results. Um, but fortunately, the young guys that you would expect to someday pick up the slack, like a Robert Thomas, like a Jordan Cairo. Uh, they've been able to do that. Yeah, so, yeah, which, and and even like Ivan Barbashev has been uh, has been a revelation as well. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, he's been yeah. given more ice time as well, so he's he's been taking those chances as well. Um, yeah, and also if you compare any team to Edmonton, you're always going to fall short <laughs> when you compare them to their offense. 
Um, so I just wanted to, like, just thinking, like, yeah, but, like, you could say that about pretty much every team. It's like, yeah, no teams like Edmonton. Um, but uh, in terms of, I, I, I think, given that I, I just said that I think there's going to be five teams that are going to make it in the Central, I think St. Louis is good enough uh, to make the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to be the top three teams, but, yeah, obviously if they go at this rate, then I think they will. But currently they're they're in fourth place in the division, um, and Colorado is in fifth, so I would imagine they'll uh, Colorado will surpass them. But at the same time, Nashville, Winnipeg, and Minnesota, um, those are all like kind of flawed teams in their own way. So um, I wouldn't be shocked if if St. Louis gets one of those three spots in the Central. Yeah, I think I, th- I think um, there's a small chance they could get second. Um, I think the more reasonable scenario is they get third or fourth. Yep. There is not a chance they're getting first because Colorado eventually is going to catch fire and overtake everybody and stay on top of the division. Yep. I, I fully expect Colorado uh, to bounce back from this slow start. They're better than the, than what they've shown. And if how they've played in the past couple of games is an indication of things to come, Colorado is going to be standing on top of the mountain, and everyone's going to be towering. Yep. So. Yeah, they um, beat. Uh, they beat the Canucks. There will be, be towering over everyone. Is is the better terminology? So, but yeah, Colorado is eventually going to kick butt once again. So a little bit of behind the scenes. Um, I was going to talk about Colorado because they were missing McKinnon. They just lost Kale McCarr, but then they beat the Canucks seven to one, and then they beat the Sharks six to two. It seems like they don't even need McKinnon, which is crazy enough being said, considering he's the second best player in the league. Um, so it is insane that that they're doing so well, and I guess it's not that surprising. So it's like, can you really call them a cold streak team when they're they uh, just won? They just blew out those other teams. I, I don't think so. Um, who is your cold streak team? Oh, well, this was honestly probably the easiest choice to pick. Um, The team that's last and deep last in the league, that would be the poor Arizona Coyotes. Uh, They're 1-13-1, 0-9-1 on the road, 1-4-0 on home ice, uh, 23 goals for, dead last in the league, 59 goals against, you guessed it, dead last in the league. It's power play, 12.5%. Dead last, no, sorry, third from dead last in the league. And their penalty kills 65.3%. Surprisingly not dead last in the league, but second to dead last in the league. Uh, they're dead last in the league in a lot of categories. They're like six points clear of Ottawa and Seattle for dead last. That's that's how that's how dead last they are. Um, they start out their season terribly. They got walloped 8-2 to two by Columbus. Uh, then they faced Buffalo, who they narrowly lost to. They also faced St. Louis, Edmonton, the Islanders, the Panthers, the Lightning, Capitals, Hurricanes, Flyers, Ducks, Kraken, who surprisingly they beat. They came from behind to beat the Kraken. That's the only time they beat an opponent this year, and it was an expansion team. And then they lost to Minnesota, Chicago, and uh, Nashville. Uh, so they haven't played a single team multiple times. They've played 15 different opponents so far and the only results they've gotten is an overtime loss to Buffalo their second game and a a come from behind win against the Kraken that was in their 8, 9, 10, 11, 12th game of the year 
So, um, yeah, I, I mean, you, you look at the amount of turnover that the Coyotes had this past offseason, all of the guys they said goodbye to. They said goodbye to Christian Dvorak. They said goodbye to uh, Darcy Kemper, who got a trade to Colorado. Antti Ranta left in free agency. They even traded their, one of the young goalies, Aiden Hill, to San Jose. Um, and now that Carter Hutton is injured, one of the guys they brought in, uh, they had to yank Scott Wedgwood off the waiver wire from New Jersey. Um, so they're basically on an AHL NHL journeyman at this point as one of their two goalies. And, uh, one of the other boys that I'll talk about has actually done pretty decent, but prior to this year, didn't have a single game of North American experience, not a single game in North America. So, uh, that just goes to show you how inexperienced uh, they are on uh, the winning side. Uh, you also look at Connor Garland, who they moved to Vancouver, OEL, their captain. They did the same. Uh, all Redmond Larson is now with the Canucks. Um, in their places, you have the likes of Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, and Jay Beagle, all on expiring contracts. Uh, Andrew Ladd and Shane Ghostespair were added to the roster. Same with Anton Strahlman. Guys that could bring them to the cap floor, but realistically, long-term, not really sure what their futures are. Uh, same with uh, re new recruitments like Dimitri Yaskin, who played with the Blues once upon a time, then went over to Europe and is now back in the NHL. You also have uh, Johan Larson, uh, Travis Boyd, Ryan DeSingle, Alex Galchenyuk, who was traded to the Penguins in exchange for Phil Kessel going to Arizona, is now back with the Coyotes. Uh, although I don't know how much longer Phil Kessel is going to be there because guess what? He is also on an expiring contract. And uh, you also have a lot of uh, RFA names that, you know what, might be sick of all this losing and might ask for a change of scenery if things get bad. Um, the main guys that are left from those decent years that are probably worth keeping and hopefully they don't piss them off too much uh, are Jacob Chikrin and uh, Clayton Keller. Yep. Those are the two staples of this team. And I guess... Barrett Hayton is there, but I don't know if I call him an NHL regular at this point. They certainly hope he can be, but um, in my in my eyes, he's not an NHL proven NHL regular at this point. So, as you can tell right away, just by looking at that, it's a very impossible mission for Bill Armstrong and Andre Turingi to ice a winning team this year. Bill Armstrong being the GM, Andre Turingi being uh, the guy calling the shots behind the bench. Although in due time, I expect them to get the prospects, the pieces needed to ice a winning team. Um, you have a lot of pretty stacked drafts coming up uh, this year and in 2023 with big names like Connor Bedard on the board. Matt Fay Mitchkov, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correct, also on the board in 2023. And then this year, the prize possession is Shane Wright, of course. The Coyotes probably over the next couple of years are going to be a very bad team, so they'll have a lot of names to add to their current prospect pool, which already has a couple of decent players like uh, Ivan Prospetov between the pipes. You also have Dylan Gunther, a goal scorer, yep. and Jan Yannick, um, a pretty uh, talented player in his own right, too. Um, this year, I think we're going to see 2018-19 Ottawa Senators type of bad 2019-2020 Detroit Red Wings type of bad. And I'll do a better deep dive into how bad this team is uh, once the season is done. But for the moment, you're starting to see 
how gruesome on the ice, how unwatchable this team is uh, whenever they play NHL hockey. They're, like I said, near the... They're, 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 they're deeper than, than hell. Mm-hmm. They're deeper than hellish bad in a lot of offensive and defensive categories. The one thing that I do like about them is that they don't quit. And that's what Andre Turini during his time at the 67s was very good at doing. He was good at establishing a positive culture that didn't quit no matter the circumstance that would fight to get two points and moving forward, that is what they need. That is what a rebuilding team needs. They need a foundation to build on. And when it's time to win, that critical foundation is going to be the reason why in five or six years from now, the Coyotes are going to be one of those young teams to watch and that you can no longer take lightly. In the third period is where you see the most fight. They've been outscored 19 to 14 in the final 20 minutes. Yep. So they're not giving up in the third period. They're still fighting. They they are still um, they're still playing for something in those final twenty minutes, and I say that because they're outscored eighteen to six in the first period, and a whopping twenty two to three in the second period. So by the third period in most of these games, this game's already decided. It's out of their hands. They're probably going to lose, and they keep fighting, and they only have a negative five goal differential in the third period. Uh, the other sign that I know this team is bad, they're 0-1-1 when leading after 20 minutes, which means they've trailed in the opening frame in 13 of the 15 games that they played. The only other team that is without a win when leading after 20 minutes is Vancouver, and that game is and that team isn't supposed to be bad. They're supposed right. to be, at the very least, decent. Uh, the other sign that I know that a team is bad, they rarely score the first goal. I think in all but four of their games this year, Arizona has uh, fallen behind in all but four of their games. And the four games where they got the first goal, I think their record is 0-3-1. So again, winless when doing something positive to start a hockey game. Um, the other indicator is looking at individual stat lines from players. Uh, the biggest name in that category being Jake Chikrin. This this is a guy before everyone of significance was pretty much traded away in the offseason. This was a guy that was a top 10 vote getter in Norris votes who almost got 20 goals in a shortened season, getting 20 goals in a season by a defenseman in these days doesn't happen very often. And the fact he almost did in a shortened season is even more incredible. And maybe a lot of that has to do with the players that were on the ice, you know, the likes of Nick Schmaltz that are still around, Clayton Keller that are still around. Back then you had the likes of Dvorak and Garland and all Reckman Larson on the back end, um, taking away some of the pressure from Chikrin, and maybe that allowed Chikrin to do what he does best. And that could be possibly the big reason why he's gotten off to this slow of a start. However... I did not expect a minus 22 after his first 15 games and one goal, one assist on 45 shots with over 24 minutes of ice time. That I did not expect. Yep. Jacob Chikrin this year so far has been eaten alive, and he hasn't gotten much puck luck at all. There are some positive performances, though, that I would like to highlight, though. Lawson Krause, four goals, seven points, 36 shots in his 15 games. This year he's looked pretty good. 
Um, you look at depth guys like Andrew Ladd and Yoan Larson, they've looked pretty good. Um, Keller, Fisher, Kessel also doing decent. And the main guy that I would like to talk about is a name like uh, that you probably haven't heard before, but a name that sounds very cool to say, uh, Caro Vemelka, oh, yeah. I think that's his name. Uh, if you don't know who he is, um, neither did I prior to this year, but a little bit of a backstory for you. He's a goalie from the Czech Republic that was a fifth-round draft pick of the Nashville Predators in 2015. Yeah. We, you thought the 2015 draft was deep already with the likes of Kaprizov in the later rounds? This guy got taken in 2015, too. Now, the Predators back then, they had Pecorine as the centerpiece of their tandem, uh, and they went on to add names like UC Saros in the draft and Yaroslav Askarov in the draft. So, obviously, around somewhere around those lines, uh, Vimelka became expendable, wasn't really signed by uh, Nashville, uh, played in Europe for several years after his draft year, until this year when he signed a short-term deal with the Arizona Coyotes. You look at his record on a team with one win, and you would expect at the most he would have one win. He has none in uh, 12 outings, 10 starts, zero wins, nine regulation losses, and one overtime shootout loss. Uh, right-handed catching goalie, not the usual left-handed catching goalie, so he's a bit different in that regard. And yet, he owns a 3.29 GAA and an 8.97 save percentage in that stretch of 10 starts and 12 games, which, you know, on a bad team is still pretty good. You also look at the past, if you take away the past week and a half of hockey, that save percentage was around 9.20, and he was 0-6-1. So the past three games for him have not gone well. But everything prior to that, there had been a lot of occasions where the Coyotes have been within striking distance of an opponent they weren't expected to beat, largely because of this guy's play. So if you see more of that, Carol Vomilka, throughout the course of the year, it wouldn't shock me if he posts a save percentage of at least 9-10 on this struggling Arizona Coyotes team. Yep. He could be a very serviceable goaltender for them in a year where probably any goaltender would post a save percentage below 900. So if I had to pick a player to watch this year on Arizona, it would probably be him. Yeah, he, he's actually looked good, even though obviously the team isn't that good. Um, yeah, I, I, I think like we all came into this year knowing that the Coyotes weren't going to be good. Um, and so far they've lived up to that expectation. Um, so it's like, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's one of those things that like, yeah, they like, obviously the, the lottery is the lottery. So they, they don't even have a guarantee there, but even if they get like, let's say, uh, they lose out on the first Shane Wright or Kamel, um, who are like the projected first two players, uh, taken in this year's draft, they still have like Brad Lampert, they could still get, um, Savoie, uh, they could still get, uh, I think there's a couple of other guys that I'm blanking on. Um, so, uh, so like there, there is a good chance that they'll get a good player even at the third overall spot. Um, and you know, like, you know, I think we were all saying that like, you know, it's, it's going to be between Arizona and Buffalo as the worst team. And even Buffalo has looked 
okay. And Don Granado has has gotten them to a spot where it's like they they may not be the worst team in the league, and they could there's they'll still you know don't get me wrong, Buffalo's not making the playoffs, but you know they 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 are winning teams, uh, winning games, even when they uh, shouldn't be, um, and all that stuff. So I think the Coyotes are on the right track. I do want to bring up some positives though. Um, from from the fold uh, because you you kind of focus a lot on the negatives. I mean, you did mention Carol Velmelka, who I think is he he could be a good goaltender um, in the future for them. But um, I do want to mention Shane Gosisbear. Uh, he has twelve points in fifteen games. What's interesting is the Flyers basically like didn't even get anything back for Shane Gosisbear. They even like brought. Uh, Arizona, some like picks. It's like, hey, uh, we've given up on Ghost Despair, and he wasn't even that bad in Philadelphia. And then all of a sudden, like Shane Ghost Despair has, uh, who would have thought that he had, he has ten more points than Jacob Chikrin does right now. Uh, which, like, I was thinking, like, okay, Chikrin will probably still get more points than Ghost Bear, but it will be close. It's not even close right now at 15 games. I don't think anyone would have predicted that. I love Ghost Spare. I love Chikrin. But it, it is kind of crazy that like Ghost Spare has been unbelievable uh, for them in this in this time. And so it's like good for, for good for Ghost Bear for uh, for doing so well and kind of like proving all his doubters wrong. And, and given the way that Keith Yandel has been played in Philadelphia right now, like I think he's getting a healthy like you know getting third-pairing minutes and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, I think the Flyers might want some Ghost Bear instead of uh, Keith Yandel. Um, so anyways, I, I, I do want to say that, like, I whenever I watch the Coyotes, I, I'm like, all right, Ghost Bear is, is the guy. He, he's been really good. Um, I also want to give credit to uh, Lawson Kraus. Um, he's been really good, too. He's He's kind of like a underrated player at the moment. I guess all the players on Arizona are underrated, but uh, Lawson Kraus, uh, he's he's a good power forward for them. But he also has seven points in fifteen games, and and that's that's pretty good. I mean, I'm, I I think anyone who scores on Arizona has, deserves a lot of credit. Um, Phil Kessel has six points in fifteen games, um, and then uh, Andrew Ladd. Um, I also want to mention uh, because. What was funny is, like, when he was traded, uh, this was another one where it's like the Islanders might want some Andrew Ladd back because um, they traded Andrew Ladd uh, to Arizona. They didn't really get anything back. Um, I guess they got a couple picks back, but uh, <laughs> there was a condition where if Andrew Ladd even plays one game, they won't get a third-round pick or something like that. But, the, you know, Andrew, like, I guess the Arizona Coyotes don't care about that. And uh, he has three goals. I think he, uh, those were in, the like, the last three games, too. Um, I'll have to double-check that. But um, but it is it is funny that it's, like, whenever I see him even getting on the score sheet, I'm like, oh, I wonder if, like, the Islanders are aware that, like, he's playing some games here. Um, and I, I think the Islanders are struggling for, for scoring points. So that, that's probably another guy where um, the, the Islanders wish that they had Andrew Ladd back. 
which is weird when I remember to say. the last time that Andrew Ladd played meaningful games for the Islanders, it was the final year of yep. Tavares, uh, the first year that Barzell was there, yep. and they had like a pretty solid first line, a pretty solid second line, and I think Andrew Ladd was like a 20-goal scorer, didn't really get any assists that year, and then he was just buried in the minors after that. Yep. <laughs> that was the extent of Andrew Ladd's time uh, with the Islanders was that one really good year, and then those years spent in the minors. They weren't even using him as a fourth-line guy yep. uh, in, in their system. He was just buried in Bridgeport in the AHL. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think the condition was if he either played one game or if he was bought up before his contract expired, they wouldn't even keep the pick. Yeah. So he's obviously played in more than one game, and the fact that he's got three goals – um, on top of that is like impressive yeah. no matter how many games he plays one of, one of them is were using him I'm also glad that he's even on the power play I completely yeah. omitted him but I was going to mention him as well he's been he's yeah. been very good for them too yeah uh, Andrew Ladd even is on the power play which is funny too because you look at his <laughs> average average time on ice I mean he's making four 14 minutes on ice right now so it's, it's just really funny um as for Jacob Chikrin, I do want to touch on this as well um, he has, so yeah, he has two points, um, in 15 games, one goal. I don't think anyone expected him to be this bad because he was really good even when the Coyotes were bad last year. Um, and he kind of had a breakout year, especially now that OEL's out and, um, you know, out of the desert and all that stuff. So you're just thinking like, okay, Chikrin's going to be the guy. Um, but you look at his shot rates, uh, he has the most shots on goal, or I think he has the most shots on... Yeah, he does have the most shots on goal by a wide margin. He has 45 shots on goal and only one goal in those 45 shots. Um, so so I think that... And he has a two per shooting percentage. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that's going to uh, come up a little, just a little bit, um, I would imagine. Yeah, he's, it was the plus-minus rating that, yeah. that really concerned me. Yeah. But again, it's the Coyotes, so what do yeah, you expect? Yeah. I, I, I don't think... I mean, I didn't expect him to be this bad, um, and he's probably not going to have a career year this year. I think no one really expected that either, just because you know we were all aware the Coyotes are going to be bad. Um, I just think he's just gotten really, 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 really unlucky. So, um, so I, I, I think that will eventually come to fruition. But um, yeah, it, um, I have him in two leagues as well as Ghost is Bear. So it is kind of funny because it's I have Ghost Bear in two leagues and I have Chikrin in two leagues. So I always feel conflicted because I'm like, oh, Ghost Bear, he's doing really well, and then I'm like, Chikrin, not doing so well. <laughs> so kind of yeah, I get I, I get I, sad I, I, and I also get happy at the same time. If he gets, like, 30 or so points this year, yep. given the circumstances, that would be a win for yep. Chikrin. At the same time, if that plus-minus doesn't get better, it could go up to at least minus 50 by the time it gets April. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then lastly, I want to mention that uh, the... Because uh, I, I feel like it's hard to really judge the Coyotes because, like, no one expected them to make the playoffs. Uh, they were always expected to be a lottery team. I, I don't think anyone expected them to be this bad, but at the same time, they kind of, you know, they built their team so that they're gunning for Shane Wright. Like, <laughs> there's only three players that are on long-term contracts after this year, and that's uh, Kel Clayton Keller, Jacob Tricken, and Shane Gostisbehere. Everyone else is a, either a UFA or an RFA. So, um, so I don't, I don't think it's... 
it's like a shock that like you know that they're clearly tanking um when you when you look at their cap situation it's just um so so it's tough so i i do want to mention some of their prospects that are doing really well uh josh doan who's actually this uh shane doan's son and he was a bit of an overager himself but he has 15 points in 12 games at arizona state um, with uh, so he he's averaging 1.25. I, I guess Arizona State doesn't really play too many play um, you know good teams, but it's still impressive nonetheless. Um, and then uh, Dylan Gunther, of course, he was their first round pick this past year. Uh, he has 19 points in 17 games. That's pretty good. Um, and then I do want to mention um, Matthias Maselli has 10 points in 10 games in the AHL. I wonder if they call him up. Uh, Victor Soderstrom has two assists in two games. He doesn't have a goal. Um, and then you have um, John Janik, also in Tucson, um, with seven points in ten games. So, um, Oh, and lastly, there's this guy who they just drafted, uh, although he was an overager, but he's in the AHL as well, uh, Jonas Moser, um, and he has six points in ten games in Tucson as well. So it's like... Um, so they're 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 doing decently um, in this in this um, in terms of like prospects and of course they're probably going to have a high pick. It's it's most like it may not be Shane Wright, um, but it could it's definitely going to be a top five pick. Um, and um, and yeah, I think I think they're going to uh, get someone really special because this twenty twenty two draft. If you're going to tank, uh, this would be the year to do it because there there's about like. I think they were saying that there's like seven guys or ten guys that are game changers and, and franchise changing teams and um, and uh, Arizona is going to be guaranteed to get at least one of them um, and and that's that's kind of exciting if I was an Arizona fan. Um, all right, so we go to you. You did briefly mention this team, and I I also briefly mentioned this team as well. But my cold streak team is the Vancouver Canucks. Um, and the, the reason why I picked them is they just, lo- they're on a four game losing streak. Um, and you know, that's, that's probably not too bad, especially when two of those teams were Colorado and Vegas. They also lost to, uh, two of them to Anaheim that, you know, and Anaheim has been pretty good to start. So it's not like an embarrassing stuff, but then you look at like, they lose to Vegas. They don't mind you. They don't have Mark Stone right now. They don't have Max Pacioretty. They don't have Jack Eichel. They lose to Vegas seven to four, um, and they lose to Colorado. They don't have Nathan McKinnon. I don't think they had Kale McCarr at that point, and they lose to them seven to one as well. Uh, they lose to Anaheim last night, um, although it was the second half of a back-to-back, so you know you cut them some slack. But at the same time, they lost five to one there. It's like, um, and and yeah, they're 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 kind of sliding here. Um, and then when you look at the stats, it's Quinn Hughes and JT Miller have been their best players by far. Um, for uh, Quinn Hughes has 14 points in 15 games, and JT Miller has 18 points in 16 games. But pretty much everyone else is like, meh. Um, especially Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser. Um, Elias Pettersson has 9 points in 16 games. Um, I think I, um, I'll pull this up in a second, but... Um, I saw that, like, I, I, uh, Travis Green, who's the head coach, he had mentioned 
that like Elias Pedersen, uh, like they're working on it. He's kind of struggling, um, and he's not doing as well as they thought he would be doing. And um, and yeah, you're you're kind of like wondering what what's kind of the deal with him. But it, it was an odd quote, so I will pull it up when I um, when <laughs> when you talk. But uh, but it is kind of crazy that he's he's not doing so hot because uh, you know like yeah I know that he was injured for the last half of last year and that was a big reason why the Canucks weren't doing so well last year because they didn't have Pedersen. But now it's like they um, they get him back and maybe there was something with the injury and he's just he's still getting it to work, but there's so, there's only so much time where you can't use that as an excuse. And, um, and yeah, he's, you know, he does have a 6.8 shooting percentage. So that will probably spark up. And there were some moments where it's like, okay, that's the EP 40 that we know and love. Uh, but at the same time, he has nine points in 16 games. Um, that's okay. If you're like a, a normal player, but Elias Pettersson, was supposed to be like, like it's a top ten player when he's at his game, and he's clearly not at <laughs> at his game right now. Um, I do wonder though, um, and then okay, and then so I do want to talk about Pedersen, but I'll I'll get to that quote, and and I'm sure you have something to say about that. Um, there's also uh, uh, OEL. Um, he, what's, what's interesting is, is that he, he's actually shooting a lot. He has 49 shots. Um, <laughs> he only has one goal and just like his former teammate, um, he only has, uh, one goal and he has a poor, t- uh, 2% shooting percentage there. So I think that will come up just in time, but it is tough to tell at the moment. Um, but, um, but I do want, it is kind of crazy that he has 49 shots on goal. I think that's leading the team. Um, I remember you were saying that um, at one point he was leading the whole league in shots on goal. Um, All right from last but I don't know if that's, yet. But I don't know if, is that still the case? Um, considering the fact that Tarasenko has over 50, I can safely say <laughs> that Albrecht and Larson is no longer first. Okay. I don't know where he ranks now, but he's no longer first. That's another thing I'll look up. Um, and then uh, I do want to mention that I, I did mention how the the Canucks lost to Vegas 7-4 to without Mark Stone and Pacioretty, and they lost 7-1 to without Nathan McKinnon. Um and Demko was the starting goaltender for both of those games. So Demko has been really bad. Um, he has a 3.33 GAA, a save percentage of 898. This is pretty much like a Martin Jones level bad, 5, 6, and 1. Um, and, you know, I think, like, you know, he was decent. What, what's strange about Thatcher Demko struggling, not, I guess not strange is not the right word, but... Um, but, like, last year, when he was in the Canadian bubble, he actually had decent stats. He had a 9.15 save percentage and a GAA of 2.85, which is pretty good when you consider the fact that he's playing uh, Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl uh, seven, you know, six games, uh, six times out of, you know, 6% because he's only playing six other teams, and one of those has Connor McDavid, one of those teams has... Austin Matthews, one of those teams has uh, Matthew Kachuk, one of those teams has Kyle Connor. 
Um, so, so like that's like a loaded offensive pool of, of players, but, um, but yeah, he, he did really well, even though like the Canucks were struggling towards the end of that. And, you know, you were thinking like, okay, there is something there with Thatcher Demko. Now, um, yeah, it is, uh, you know, it is, it is still early and all that stuff, but he is struggling right now. And you do one now. It's like the concern is back, where you're like, "Well, is Thatcher Demko actually good, or was the bubble just an aberration? Was he like just not good when um, when there were no fans, um, and and like he just needs no fans to do well, or something like that?" He's, which is which is kind of a weird thing to say, but um, it, it it could be possible that he he just doesn't he he needs no fans to do well. Um, but yeah, so and, and then I also uh, was looking at the goals for per game and uh, team GAA. Uh, they are 27th in team GAA, um, and then they're 26 in goals for per game. So uh, both their yeah both their offense and defense are not doing so hot, um, and it's, it's to the point where I do wonder um, if they they start to fire Travis Green. Uh, cause they, um, cause they did, you know, they made these, these moves to get Connor Garland, um, and Oliver Ekman Larson. And I did talk about Oliver Ekman Larson before, uh, Connor Garland's been, been okay. Uh, hasn't been great, but it, it is, uh, interesting. Um, and I, I wonder if they're going to, because I feel like, um, they're probably going to lose patience because it's like, why did you make that trade with Connor Garland and Oliver Ekman Larson? And then you're not even going to make the playoffs anymore. It seems kind of strange. Um, so I, I think they have to do something. And I think Travis Green is going to be the one to go. Um, when you look at their caps situation, Brock Besser is going to be an RFA next year. That's probably their biggest free agent that they have to deal with. Um, but, um, but yeah, I wonder um, if he might be a trade trip in the future, because they do have Connor Garland, they do have, uh, and Vasily Podkolzin seems like he's going to be pretty good um, in the system. Uh, you know, Neil, Niles Hoglander, who has been pretty good too. So I do wonder if Brock Besser might be like a rental for another team if they do decide to uh, quit on the year. Um, but it is. Um, I I, I I feel like I'm not even really sure how you fix this team. Um, it's it seems like they're they're a mess right now. The problem with the Vancouver Canucks is, and the same argument can be made for the Ottawa Senators and their current struggles in the sense of like, is their coach in the hot seat? Well, the thing is, uh, they've already said through a new contract, we like our new coach and we're going to keep him. The Sens gave DJ Smith a contract extension, and to be fair, the Sens are not in a position to win. They've been getting hammered by COVID, as a lot of people know, and injuries and the like, and they play in a very tough division as it is. So they're not expected to win right now, and they're trusting the process. Vancouver's in a much different story because they're not in as difficult of a division, and they feel they have a pretty good chance to win, and they have a lot of players that um, have the mileage enough mileage on them to deliver playoff success as a unit and 
Travis Green has taken to this team to the playoffs before and gone on a nice little run with them as well. So I can understand the criticism behind Travis Green if they didn't already commit to him, and maybe that's why they're hesitant to pull the trigger on a potential coaching change. They've also restored some of their faith in Jim Benning, which, to be honest, I thought was a mistake and was probably a 50-50 coin toss um, in, in the eyes of most Canuck hockey fans. There is a growing section of the community that can't stand Jim Benning and want him out of there yep. ASAP. And even when that contract was signed, they probably still wanted him out of there and are probably calling for his head now as they're struggling. Um I think if you take Travis Green, you take Jim Benning with him, and you start fresh. Like, how a hockey mind with Jeff Gordon is out there, and you don't take advantage of that is beyond me. I think the Canucks need a better forward thinker in the GM chair. There have definitely been times where Jim Benning has looked like a genius, and he has made some low-key genius moves for the Canucks. But in particular, in free agency, there have been a lot of misses with some of the names that he got, and he just traded away three of them to Arizona to get Oliver ekman Larson, who is on that contract for another six or seven years. Right. Thankfully, to reduce cap it, but not much of a reduced cap it. And there's also the Besser situation, and then you push the Peterson situation three years down the road, so you have to yeah. deal with that at some point. So there, there are a lot of things a lot of complex situations in vancouver's way over the next couple of years and that probably adds the pressure of while we have this team here we've got to win and we've got to win immediately and we got to go as far as we possibly can with this group which is maybe part of the uh, again another part of the reason why the fans are so fed up i think they were like three two and one or four two and one to start the year as well which Considering they have five wins on the year, kind of shows how much they've struggled over the past couple of weeks. Um, their power play, when you look at the scope of their power play, it's 25th in the league at 15.3%. This is the alarming part. They have 102 minutes and four seconds of power play time. Not even the abs have generated more power play time this year. The Canucks are first in power play time spent on the ice this year. And they've had 59 chances to score on the power play. You guessed it, also first in the league. And yet they're middle of the pack and power play goals scored, hence why they're 25th in the league in power play percentage. Their penalty kill is even worse because they're dead last in penalty kill at 62.3%, with the eighth most time spent on the penalty kill at 82 minutes on the nose, 53 times they've been shorthanded, which you guessed it, sixth highest in the league, and you guessed it, they have given up the most goals on the penalty kill with 20. Which basically means every game the Canucks play, you're expecting at least one power play goal to go against them. Yeah. Not ideal numbers if you're the Canucks. So, yes, I think you can make the argument that part of this falls on Thatcher Demko. However, you can also make the argument that team defense and the defense in general play as much big of a role as Demko is not stopping pucks. The, the team defense is not where it needs to be at all. Um, you're right about Pearson. You're right about Besser. They need to play better. Um, Oliver ekman Larson has been snake-bitten as well. 49 shots, yep. only one goal to show for it. It was a power play goal in 16 games. Uh, I am impressed, however, with Niels Hoglander. Uh, under 15 minutes per game, 
He has 42 shots, five goals, nine points in 16 games. Again, for a second-year player, that's pretty good. Uh, Bo Horvat has also looked good. Connor Garland has looked good. JT Miller is leading the team in scoring at a point-per-game pace with 18 points. Um, I'm very impressed with how his game has evolved the past couple of years. So the Canucks really hit on uh, that uh, JT Miller trade. I, I like that a lot. Yep. Um, and I do think Connor Garland's going to be a nice player for them, and they have a great commodity in Quinn Hughes on the back end. Um, but I think you're right. Uh, for the Canucks to be successful, the names Peterson, Besser, and Demko need to be need to be playing better than average or below average. They need to be playing good at worst, great at best, in order for this team to really evolve. And the team defense needs to obviously do a better job of keeping the puck out of the net. You take away those 20 penalty kill goals against off of their 55, their goals against is 41 goals for 35 goals against. So that's a plus six goal differential. I would imagine that several of those 20 penalty kill goals against is responsible for why their record is five, nine and two. And if you change that side of your game, if you improve the special teams, I think overall you're going to improve this team. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's interesting when I was looking for the quote that Travis Green said of Elias Pettersson. The only thing I found was that he said that he categorized Pettersson as a good young player, which is kind of funny considering how we his like first couple of games in the league he was kind of like considered like the next big thing kind of compared to McDavid of, of all those things so it's like it's weird to say like oh good young player like he's not like one of the best players in the league right now um but what's what's interesting is when I like search Travis Green Pedersen or even like Elias Pedersen Travis Green a lot of Canucks fans want Pedersen to be healthy scratch. They definitely want to fire Travis Green. They want to send like Pedersen on the wing. They they want to send him down to the minors so he can figure stuff out. It's like it's like he's out of his entry level contract. Yeah. have to clear waivers. Are you nuts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point too. It's like it is it is crazy and and they're just like so I I, I expected Travis Green. Um, being fired and, and that's what they wanted but it, it is funny how I'm seeing all these things of like why uh, uh, why like Tra Travis Green does not deserve Elias Pettersson and I'm like okay but you're gonna send him to the AHL I guess I can understand that if you want him to like figure things out but yeah you're right he would have to clear waivers and he's not clearing waivers so um, so yeah it would be, it would be kind of funny but like even moving him to the wing, I could see maybe. Um, but but it is it is crazy. I guess that just goes to show you how crazy um, Canucks fans are, or just how dire this situation is right now, where everyone's it freaking should, out it about. It should also team. be noted that yes, the goals against the average and the state percentage yep. of Thatcher Demko aren't where they needs to be. It, they're, and they're five, and he's five six and one despite that. It should be noted that he's faced 382 shots against over his 12 starts, which means, on average, he faces 31.8 shots per game. I would say that's above what the average NHL goalie faces in a game, and that yeah. needs to stop. So, yes, Thatcher Demko might be a good young player, and Elias Pearson needs to be a good young player, 
but maybe teams are just figuring them out. After a couple of years in the league, they're starting to find their weaknesses. They're finding out ways how they can beat this guy. And you know what? Every every single goaltender, every single player probably goes through that phase in their first couple of years in the league yep. where they need to adapt. And maybe Peterson is going through that um, at the moment. Yep. I also know that sometimes you get to a point where you realize this team system isn't working and we need to change things. Yep. Again, I don't know if the Canucks are at that point with Travis Green, but you've got to think, is it the player's fault or is he just not playing in the right system? Is he not being utilized properly? Yeah, that's a good point. I also saw some tweets of like that they're trying to make Pedersen into a defensive player or a two-way player, and that's just not who Pedersen is. He's more of an offensive player. Which I could see and I understand that. But that's like kind of like that criticism of McDavid of like, well, McDavid should focus more on forechecking than, than scoring goals. So like, what are, what are you and, doing? And again, <laughs> you know what? Maybe Elias Pearson yeah. can turn into that type of player. Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight, though. Right. Look at Mike Medano. It took him a couple of years at least to become the defensive player that he was. Right. Yeah. In Dallas. But, like, on the other hand, you look at, like, Nathan McKinnon, he had a, like, he had a phenomenal rookie year, then he kind of struggled towards the, like, you know, his second and third year, and then he got back to his usual self, and even better than what he was his rookie year, so I, 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 I wouldn't give up on Elias Pettersson uh, just yet, but it is, you know, it is time to worry about, like, okay, now it's time for him to focus on, on how to how to like take advantage of like, yeah, I think that you're right that I think there are teams that have figured out Elias Pedersen, but, but then you have to figure out, okay, how do you, how do you overcome that? How do you get that? And that's going to be the true test of how good Elias Pedersen really is. Um, and yeah, and I, again, I still like believe I in mentioned in, in the Coyotes breakdown, when yeah. I mentioned about uh, the Canucks struggling to get out of uh, the gate and like, uh, a, build leads, A, score the first goal, and throughout all of that, get zero wins. Yep. In the odd time that they did it, that is not Elias Pearson problem or a Thatcher Demko problem or a Brock Besser problem. That's a team problem. That's the team not getting off to a good start. That's a team that can hold leads. Yep. There are a lot of team issues that need to be solved, not just individual issues. Um, okay. And then lastly, before we leave, uh, Oliver Ekman Larson is 16 in shots on goal right now, um, and he's not okay. e- he's not even the he's not even the defenseman that has the most shots on goal. You want to guess who that is? I'm gonna take a stab and say Brent Burns. <laughs> he's close. He's second. It's actually Seth. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, he's tied for first. Actually, you should say. But Seth Jones also had. They both have 50 points. Uh, 50 shots on goal. Um, and Oliver Ekman Larson has 49. So, uh, and those are, that's 13. Um, and uh, yeah, Oliver OEL is 16. Um, I, oh, I just got rid of it. I was going to ask you who, who, I guess I can ask you because uh, it should show up at this point. Um, who has the most shots on goal now? Um, accounting defensemen forwards like yep. uh, who leads the league in shots on goal period. Yep. Um, hmm, 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 hmm. Uh, it's, it's very obvious. I'm going to say Ovechkin. Yep. He's 62 shots on goal. 
William Nylander, yeah, actually. Is, whoever yeah. leads the league in goals right now, and I know Ovechkin's on a tour base, so yeah. probably him would be a good guess. Uh, William Nylander is actually second, which I thought was kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember a couple weeks back, Nylander and Tavares were like second and third, respectively. Yep. And rel- relatively snake bitten on the score sheets, but getting a lot of chances uh, to score. So if you're a least fan, I guess that bodes well. Yeah, that, that's true. All right, so that about does it for us here. Um, I, I guess we didn't really say anything else. Like the, I think the Canucks will figure it out, but I, I think that Travis Green's going to get fired um, if this keeps up. Um, and it could be this week. I, I think we could see tra- our first coach being fired uh, this week from Travis Green. Um, I love how you forget that Carlton was the first coach that was dismissed. Well, okay. so bad that people forget he was gone. Oh, yeah, good point. Okay, he's the second coach that's going to be gone. Yeah. And also, uh, wasn't Carlton, didn't Carlton step down, I think? No, no, he was, he was, the team made the call. Right, right. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I think the Canucks are going to be, and I said this uh, before the before uh, we made the projections, um, I, I thought the Canucks would be like a middle-of-the-pack team, maybe miss out on the playoffs, and that's largely because, not that they're a good team, it's just that in the fight for the wild card, the Central Division teams are going to be better mm-hmm. than them. Um, so I, I hope at the very least they're an above-average team, they're above 500, and they have a good push to start the year. But I think it, it's similar to uh, the 2021 Toronto Blue Jays, where they got hot down the stretch, but those mediocre first couple of months really cost them. Yep. And I think this rough stretch is going to cost Vancouver the same way. Yeah, I could see that happening. I think I think you're right. They'll they'll figure it out eventually, but it may be too little, too late type of thing. So yeah. Um, so yeah. For I this year, anyway. Um, all right, that about does it for us here. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can uh, subscribe to us and follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 295 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.